Nothing like a new year to make you want to take stock of everything. Eating always seems to fall into the quote-unquote too much category and exercise that gets filed under not enough. Well, 2022 is a great time to change all that and morph like you do every year into a better version of yourself. But why should your personal life get all the upkeep attention? I mean, couldn't your transfer pricing practices stand a few upgrades too? Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing Cross-Border Solutions Year-Round Transfer Pricing Deep Dive Podcast. In celebration of the new year, we're thinking it's time to up your game on the transfer pricing front, and there's no time like the present. Sound stressful? It's not. In fact, we've rounded up five of the most important lessons we've learned from experts on this podcast throughout 2021. Our chief economist Mimi Song is here to explain why each transfer pricing New Year's resolution, as we like to call them, deserves your very best effort given our very uncertain global tax environment. And while we may call these vows out in honor of 2022's reboot, and while we may call these vows out in honor of 2022's reboot, they really are best practices that should be employed the whole year through. Unlike those lofty eating and exercise promises, which if you're like us, should be a distant memory by February. Happy New Year! <laughs> and on that note, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Thailand may not be a member of the OECD, but that doesn't mean it's not serious about tackling base erosion and profit shifting. Last fall, Thai Revenue released new mandatory transfer pricing documentation requirements, which incorporate reporting highlights from the OECD and add to them. If you have business in Thailand, pay attention. The regulations apply to periods on or after January 1st, 2021. In other words, now. So what does Thai Revenue want to see? A big picture overview should include the master file's greatest hits, information about the nature of the business, including an org chart, a value chain, and business strategies, but you'll also have to include information about key clients and competitors. Information about related party transactions must be documented as well. Thai Revenue wants specific information, including the nature of the transactions, details about the foreign related party, the price setting policies, any assumptions used in price setting, and summaries of relevant contracts. A functional analysis, including changes to prior years, is mandatory as are other OECD standards. Financial information used to determine the transfer price, how the transfer pricing method was implemented, and relevant details regarding the benchmarking study, assuming you have to do one. If the taxpayer's total revenue is less than 500 million Thai baht, or 15 million US dollars, then the company is exempt from the comparability analysis, including the comparable search strategy and results. And let's not forget the country-by-country -country report, which is also required for companies meeting certain criteria, including an annual consolidated revenue threshold of 28 billion Thai baht, roughly 839 million US dollars, or 740 million euros, a little lower than the 750 million euro threshold recommended by the OECD. The CBC report reveals information about a company's financials and may be shared with other tax authorities. Another hoop to jump through, Thailand's transfer pricing documentation 
must be completed in Thai, but the CBC report needs to be in English. But perhaps the most distinguishing factor is the deadline. While most countries allow the CBC report to be filed within 12 months after the ultimate parent entity's fiscal year end, Thai Revenue wants it filed within 150 days after the fiscal year end, with the corporate tax return a very tight turnaround. It seemed like a global kumbaya moment back in October when 137 countries agreed to the OECD's global tax reform. But not every signature spelled enthusiasm. Ireland, as you may recall, held out on signing, conceding at the 11th hour only once its own demands were met. The Emerald Isle agreed to the two-pillar plan after insisting that the phrase, quote, at least 15% minimum tax, unquote, be changed to simply, quote, a 15% minimum tax, unquote, thus prohibiting any country from upping the global minimum tax requirement. Oh, the difference two little words can make. While Ireland faced critics for hemming and hawing, the country did have its reasons. In fact, on a recent Irish radio show, Ireland's finance minister, Pascal Donahoe, claimed that when the OECD's plan goes into effect in 2023, he expects Ireland's corporate income tax revenue to take a hit. In 2021, the government collected 15.3 billion euros in tax revenue. That's about 17.3 billion U.S. dollars, a quarter of Ireland's total tax revenue and a 30% increase from 2020. But Donahoe is sure the country won't see those kinds of numbers once the OECD's plan takes shape. Despite the expectation that corporate revenues will decline due to dips in corporate profits and the fact that Pillar 1's tax reallocation will root tax dollars away from home, Ireland plans to take one for the global team and in 2023 increase its tax rate from 12.5% to the global minimum of 15%. What does this mean for multinational companies? Tax-friendly Ireland will be on the lookout for lost revenue. And where do you think the government is going to look for it? You guessed it, multinational companies transfer pricing. Transfer pricing rules are one step closer to becoming law in Malta, though there still seems to be a long road ahead. In December, Malta opened its draft transfer pricing rules to public consultation. You can voice your support or opposition. Until February 28th, 2022, Malta has enacted a country-by-country -country report requirement but hasn't adopted the master and local files into law. However, the draft legislation lays the groundwork for more documentation requirements, and if Malta takes a nod from other EU countries, then more stringent documentation requirements could come later. For now, Malta's draft legislation would adopt the OECD's definition of arm's length, meaning the pricing that independent parties would have agreed to in a similar arrangement and steer taxpayers to OECD guidelines in terms of how transfer pricing rules should be applied. However, Malta hasn't declared which transfer pricing methods can be used to determine arm's length pricing. The draft legislation notes that micro, small, or medium-sized companies will be excluded from having to adhere to the transfer pricing rules, and it lists provisions about the scope of advanced pricing agreements. While the move is a big step forward for Malta, the rules themselves are hardly remarkable. However, when you consider that even the tiny island nation of Malta, the smallest country in the EU, has put transfer pricing compliance on its priority list, well, that certainly tells you something now, doesn't it?
Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song talking about New Year's resolutions in transfer pricing, how best to do it, best practices, everything you need to know going into 2022. And for our first resolution, when it comes to putting together a functional analysis, I will learn to make friends with my coworkers. And here is Doug Darling and Mimi Song from episode 86 of the Fiona Show, transfer pricing, transfer pricing, and profit shifting. Post-BEPS environment, any particular suggestions you might make there? I guess the first thing that comes to mind is uh, invest in in frequent, robust, functional interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know that's a simple answer, but you, you've got to be able to understand the profile, function, risk, and asset. And there's a couple ways to go about that. And I think one is just the good old functional interviews and talking asking questions about this and about that and changes and trying to pinpoint any changes. Sure. But, but there are other ways of doing that. And, and, and I, I learned this in, in one place I was at, it was very much uh, not just that. In addition, when you have certain metrics such as headcount, right? when you see headcount in certain areas fluctuate in an entity like R&D, right? all of a sudden you see an entity with the headcount in R&D drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that should be a signal that maybe they're just still doing more routine functions. Now they may have been doing true R and D innovation, but this warrants a closer look. Do we need to look at their profitability based on what we're learning? So I, there's a couple of ways to go about that functional analysis. And I, I think we're always focused on, I always had been on, you know, just talking to people and that's an art form really is because people are like suspicious well, talk about, I was going to say, yes, they, they they always get a little bit defensive talking about their jobs, don't they, Doug? <laughs> yes, you're like you're like if, if you've seen the movie Office, they, yes. they're like the two mobs coming in. I say right? that all the time. And I, I say that all the time. I mean, I and I and I get that. And, yep. and a good interviewer will, will you know put that to rest and there are ways to go about it. But I also find that most people, once you get over that, they like talking about themselves. Yes, in their, in their jobs. So it's a, it is an art form, and not everybody's good at it. And whether you outsource that, I think that is a that's a worthwhile investment. When you choose your outsourcing dollars, I think that is usually a wise area. So Mimi, a functional analysis is the heart of transfer pricing documentation. We've learned that over the many years of this podcast. Now, why are functional interviews so important? Why is it so important to make this? part of your transfer pricing compliance practice? Everything starts with the functional analysis and the interview. And 
when we think about the functional interview process, interestingly enough, I have to say, as a transfer pricing practitioner, you start asking questions about what do you do? How do you do it? And people naturally gravitate towards have you ever seen the office right or office space right where they have two two bobs interviewing all of these different layers of management to figure out who's bringing value to the organization to try to streamline the operations right and so people naturally gravitate to that scene of getting a little bit defensive saying what why are you asking me these questions and so the idea here is that People need to understand your goal as a transfer pricing practitioner is not to validate their job. We know that everyone's bringing a certain level of value back to the organization, but it's really about assessing the tax or the transfer pricing implications, right? And from a tax authority perspective, who's bringing value to the entire value chain within the organization from inception of idea all the way through delivery to the customer. And so in terms of resolution number one, making friends with coworkers, it's so important that they understand and and give you honest answers, fact-based answers, so that you can really describe the narrative as it relates to the business, so that you can dig into functions, risks, assets, so that you can tell your transfer pricing story properly and you can assign the appropriate level of value from a, an intercompany transaction perspective. And Mimi, something I know I've heard you say across all of our platforms here at Cross Border Solutions about transfer pricing, whether I've been the host or I've been in the audience, something I remember you've said that you find fascinating about transfer pricing is it really gives you this unique perspective, this unique view of a business. And in large part, that comes from the functional analysis. Is that true? Absolutely, because you get to dig into the heart of the business, understanding the whys behind how the business operates or the thought process behind it. When you think about the business holistically and then you get into the details, when you're looking at things through a transfer pricing lens, it's almost like you're, you're taking a picture from far away then you're digging into certain areas that you need to clarify or clear up from a picture perspective. And then you have to focus out again and look holistically to make sure it makes sense with the context of that entire portrait. And what's achieved from direct interviews? What do you get from interviewing coworkers and staff members in terms of transfer pricing analysis? Definitely lots of perspectives. You get the understanding of the business from the inside perspective. And you'd be surprised to know how people view their role within the entire value chain. And and by having multiple perspectives, you can figure out, okay, well, what's the best way to articulate the way that the business operates, at least not to create risk from a transfer pricing perspective, right? From an intercompany dealings perspective, what is the best way to deal with that? And having all the inside perspectives helps you craft that narrative and make sure that you are being crystal clear as it relates to establishing or applying the transfer pricing method and assessing whether or not the intercompany relationship is at arm's length. You wrote a white paper about benchmarking. And one thing I learned from that white paper was you talk about how there are not a lot of places you can go to find data on companies, comparables that are specifically geared 
toward transfer pricing benchmarking. Uh, there are some databases that are useful for transfer pricing, but they're not made for transfer pricing. So you're really doing that job in the functional analysis, tailoring something to prove your business is operating at arm's length. You're looking at things through a very specific lens. It's not, you know, it's not through the lens of an investor per se. I mean, but but granted, the investor lens does take into consideration in intercompany or tax related risks, I should say. Um, but but it is you're looking at things through a narrow lens and and benchmarking is much more of a specific exercise for TP purposes because you're 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 trying to define the narrowest type or, or characterize the intercompany transaction in the narrowest sort of bite-sized piece in order to test whether or not the transaction in and of itself would be considered arm's length. And again, that was our first resolution. And that was when it comes to putting together a functional analysis, I will learn to make friends with my coworkers in very probing interviews. I'm just kidding. As we've gone over, that's from episode 86, The Problem with Profit Shifting, and we heard from Doug Darling. And now on to resolution number two, and that is, I will prepare transfer pricing documentation to country-specific requirements and expect scrutiny from tax authorities all over the world. And we'll now hear from Mimi and Pamesh Sharma in our UK office at Cross Border talking about the HMRC crackdown in episode 98 and title of same name, HMRC Crackdown. Why is transfer pricing actually considered such a significant area of tax risk for the HMRC? Yes, I've been reading about this, Mimi, and we know that HMRC estimates that roughly 2,000 of its largest businesses with operations in the UK could actually owe an additional approximately 34 billion British pounds in tax. And this has been researched by HMRC you know, in value of over two years. And HMRC have also said they've estimated that £34 billion in terms of unpaid taxes, of which £10 billion right there is specifically related to transfer pricing. So you can see that that level of scrutiny, particularly on transfer pricing related issues, and so on the back of this, this year, HMRC opened a consultation really asking for input from various stakeholders in the UK, you know, particularly, you know, large businesses and advisors, for example, to gain input on updating the UK's transfer pricing documentation requirements, which again is, is a very big, big change from what we've seen before. Because if right. you imagine, you know, we, we know that historically, HMRC hasn't been as prescriptive as other jurisdictions as to what it wants to see in terms of documentation, right? Right, um, right. And they typically gave you like the entire year. <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> as perhaps not only prescriptive, but even a restrictive, right? The sentiment, as you had stated, was, it was that taxpayers kind of ignored those requirements and were willing to gamble on it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, we've heard this, right, Mimi, in conversations with, you know, in our day-to-day -day business with, with mm -hmm. tax professionals that when it comes to the UK, it's, well, you know, it's often been said that, you know, we, we haven't been investigated for a number of years or, right. you know, our policies have been this way for so long. We haven't had any inquiries from the HMRC, so we're going to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. So, 
And in fact, that may have been true, but right up until now, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Things will definitely change, that's for sure. So Mimi, uh, let's start with country-specific regulations. How do they differ? So each of the different jurisdictions just layer on complexity by asking for things either in their specific format, there could be form issues, there could be different ways to look at things from an economic analysis perspective, preferences when it relates to the benchmarking exercise, or even certain details related to location savings or the value chain analysis, even information related to addresses of entities involved in the intercompany transactions. So all of these details matter to different tax authorities. And so when you're looking at it from a tax authority perspective or a country legislation perspective, you should respect what it is that they're asking for to make sure you're explicitly addressing it. And how do OECD guidelines play into that? Lots of countries follow OECD guidelines. So if I'm a multinational and I just abide by OECD guidelines, is that enough? It's certainly the right starting point, but it's typically not enough. What has ultimately happened on a global scale is that the OECD framework for documentation, while it has been widely adopted, what it has created is that much more complexity. I think the intention, of course, was to create more operational simplicity and consistency on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis, but that only gets you about 80% of the way there. And then this is when different countries now take that basis framework and say, you know, this is great. Now that I know I'm going to get this information that a country X, Y, and Z are also getting, I'd also like to look at these additional components, right? And it gives them a reason to look at things in a more discerning manner. They have the resources now where they're dedicating resources to this initiative, and they have much more of heightened focus and awareness regarding what it is they should be asking for. And so they, they're, they're starting to ask for this type of information. And so the quote that played here was about the HMRC crackdown in the UK, and that's just one example where scrutiny is increasing. But Mimi, what are you seeing in terms of scrutiny from tax authorities from around the world? I I think the requirements continue to get more rigid. If you think about jurisdictions that historically, first of all, never had transfer pricing documentation requirements per se, those jurisdictions adding penalties for non-compliance, but then jurisdictions like Denmark that take it one step further, essentially indicating to taxpayers, we are not going to allow you to just shelve that report anymore. We want you to prove you have it by filing that report, that 100-page transfer pricing document. And if you don't file it, now you're we're going to penalize you for lack of filing. So the level of sensitivity regarding ensuring that taxpayers are preparing the transfer pricing analysis and documentation has significantly risen. And I anticipate it's going to continue to rise. The answer from many of these different jurisdictions like Poland or Belgium or or India would be that they have these local filing requirements that a company would not be able to complete without actually having the transfer pricing analysis prepared. But like I said, I think Denmark is an example of taking that to the next level and now requiring companies to start 
filing the, the 100 page documentation locally. So you're really not seeing tax scrutiny in just one place. You're seeing it all over the world. All over the place. That's right. I mean, let's be fair. I think that tax authorities are learning from one another. And so it's a domino effect of if one starts to ask for information and they see success in terms of auditing the multinationals that are operating locally there, ability to ensure compliance, recuperate potential tax leakage, then other jurisdictions are going to fall in line and, and take the same route and say, hey, that's that's working for Denmark. We're, we're not going to take that position. So again, that resolution makes perfect sense. That's resolution number two. I will prepare transfer pricing documentation to country-specific requirements and expect scrutiny from tax authorities all over the world. And for our third resolution, I will embrace technology. To ram this point home, we bring back Mimi Song. Technology helps us in our daily lives everywhere, but especially in a year like 2020, when we're talking about tax departments that are even more stressed and asked to further reduce budgets. And now they have to figure out how do they respond to all these changes of the facts and circumstances and and these moving parts within the entire organization. I think technology is the only way to be able to address that, right? And technology can help in a variety of ways. Number one, clearly technology can help with benchmarking and, and run those different scenarios very quickly. It can do forecasting and modeling and planning in reaction to the changes in the facts and circumstances. It also alleviates those budgetary pressures because it's a much more long-term sustainable investment as opposed to paying billable hour consulting fees. I think a dollar invested in technology is a dollar better spent than a dollar invested in a minute of a consultant's time or an hour of a consultant's time or whatever that is, because you can't take that with you necessarily, right? But the technology will continuously be there to support whatever initiatives you need to have. Mimi, in your younger and more vulnerable years when you recorded this uh, probably a couple of months ago, (laughs) how have you seen technology make the transfer pricing process easier? So in in our particular case, and obviously a plug for cross-border solutions, is the fact that our our technology provides the roadmap for localization. And I, I will tell you, without having a a systematic way to keep track of all these different changes, these different requirements. It's hard. It's, it's, it's difficult for, you know, a a tax practitioner or a transfer pricing practitioner to ensure that they're covering all their bases. Right. And so you have to be able to utilize the tools that are available to you. The platform, which we have available to us, creates that roadmap to make sure we're covering all our bases to meet all the local requirements um, and then maximize and lean on that technology to to create those efficiencies on an ongoing basis. I, I know when you think about like calendar management, something simple, right? That uh, And people a long time ago would, would rely on actual paper calendars and little daily planners. And I know personally, I, I like paper, yes, but I rely on my, you know, like on my Google calendar, on my actual um, electronic calendar to be able to communicate that with my family, to coordinate all the different schedules that we have. 
you know, and, and so that everyone is aligned. And without technology, of course, that wouldn't be possible. And of course, with with waves of technology comes cost efficiency. Where have you seen that in terms of the collision between technology and transfer pricing? Well, when you think about the pre-technology world, right, and and not a knock on the way that businesses have started, but you know the traditional service providers they were based on a, it's a it was a people-based model, and essentially it was necessary. It was necessary to have people in all these different jurisdictions before information was readily available, before the creation of the internet and and communication channels. And and so essentially, without having that technology or framework in place, it becomes very expensive because you have all these different people all around the world that you'd have to speak with to understand how to mitigate risk on a country by country basis. Now, because technology is scalable and and it it applies to that many more um, instances or users, a broader audience, and it can be scaled accordingly, this is why it's much more cost effective to do it that way, right? So huge benefit to multinationals that are able to leverage the technology because they can scale appropriately, especially as they continue to grow through either M&A activity or, or even through organic growth. So you get accuracy, you get cost efficiency and organization in the sense that technology can keep track of regulations for you, especially in transfer pricing. Regulations, as well as the ability to create a golden source so you don't create introduce additional errors um, by tapping into a single source of information, uh, as well as the ability to leverage templates and 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 just create more consistency across all the different narratives. And so, Mimi, what are you seeing among tax executives? Are they more keen to embrace technology these days? I will tell you, today versus, let's say, 10 years ago, many tax departments are absolutely on this path towards figuring out how to better automate certain processes, how to incorporate technology to create efficiencies within their tax organization. And I think I've said this before, you know, tax departments, they have probably been one of the internal business groups that maybe were less prone to embrace technology historically. And I think part of that has to do with the availability of of different technologies, right, in this particular space. And so adoption was probably not as high as you would expect versus the modern world, leveraging technology, computers, emails, workflow management tools, project management tools, right? But now at more and more tax departments I speak with, they all talk about the fact that their CFOs want them to embrace technology, create more efficiencies within the organization. Also, it helps to manage against potential attrition. So if you rely on people, naturally a company is going to have attrition, whether or not they're the best company in the world, right? It just happens. Not every company can be everything for everybody. And so this is how technology can help to replace the burden of attrition within an organization. And so I think a lot of CFOs as well as tax executives 
are seeing the vision for future growth management and scalability. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And again, that was resolution number three. I will embrace technology. Turning to resolution number four, I will update transfer pricing policies, procedures, and agreements on a regular basis. And to ram this point home, we have Michael DeSimone from episode 97, the Biden tax plan and its effect on low tax jurisdictions. Actually, I think the biggest mistake is really two mistakes. Number one, they don't actually update their policies and procedures on a regular enough basis mm. to keep track of what actually people are doing. The second is really goes hand in glove with the first, and that is they don't update their agreements. And a lot of times people don't even realize they have drop dead dates in the agreements instead of them being evergreen, where they automatically renew after a period of time. Yes. That's the biggest issue. Yes, I've seen that time and time again, the agreement side of things where it's such a mess, right? <laughs> And you're oh, yeah. like, which one supersedes the other? And wait, there's no active agreement right now. What's going on? <laughs> Actually, knowing that you don't even know what's in your agreement. You don't know what you're not following. Right. And that's really the problem. That gets a little bit scary. You know, Mimi, just breaking this down, I think even I'm the son of a dentist, so I, I know not everybody flosses. And I think even among your best multinationals, maybe they review their transfer pricing documentation and policies yearly. Maybe they don't. What do you think is proper transfer pricing hygiene? What is the frequency with which you're reviewing contracts, reviewing documentation? When we look back at the prior two years and the volatility of market conditions, this is this is one of the main reasons why these policies and procedures need to be examined more frequently. There are different factors and perhaps unknown to everybody, not as explicit, that could have an impact to the organization. And without actually looking at them on a regular basis, it could easily be overlooked. I, I will tell you, for example, you know, pre-BEPS and pre-pandemic, a lot of multinational companies would take the position of doing a deep dive functional interview every three, four years. And when they go through that process of going into this deep dive interview process, number one, all of the stakeholders that you tend to interview kind of get annoyed, I will tell you, because you take so much of their time going back and asking these questions. And if they were there at the last time you went through this exercise, and, and, and let's just say nothing has really changed, they, they tend to be like, why are we talking about this again? But the idea is that 
it has been conditioned within us that that is a good thing to do because businesses continue to evolve and you want to be able to find out what you don't know about the evolution of the business. Now, that's sort of an old school way of thinking. The way that I've been thinking about it or the way that we always think about it these days is transfer pricing should be almost an annual exercise, a quarterly exercise. It should be part of the normal course of business activity that needs to be evaluated because of the heightened focus and scrutiny around it. And when you do that, and when everyone understands that transfer pricing issues have an impact to the business organization, have have create risk, then these stakeholders will be better educated so that they can provide the right level of information at the time that it happens. They're much more prone to know and understand what types of activities or operational changes could have a direct impact to the transfer pricing policy to keep you well-informed if you have educated them on what matters and if you've gone through this process of understanding and keeping open these lines of communication. So I think this resolution goes hand in hand, by the way, with the first resolution of making friends with lots of different departments, because in order to make sure that you're reevaluating the policies, procedures, agreements, understanding that you're going to have to make friends with lots of people within the organization. Of course. And who doesn't love making friends? In speaking of making friends, we had a recent client summit and you spoke about operational transfer pricing and I was, I was going to bring that into play. <laughs> <my bit. laughs> yeah. You know, we, we did have this discussion at a recent summit and I can't name drop who our, our customer guest was, but what's fascinating about that scenario is this person joined their tax department at, at this multinational company and they had great agreements in place, transfer pricing agreements. But the biggest challenge was they weren't following the agreements. And that's a problem. And nobody knew that they weren't following these agreements. But what good is an agreement if the actual results and execution is not happening? It doesn't matter. And I think that that is so Right. And, and that can even work against you in that case, right? Because you're right. you're clearly not operating at arm's length if you're not following your agreement right. that says you're arm's length. <laughs> <laughs> so. And something else I think our listeners remember you for saying on the show is reflecting on how transfer pricing documentation needs to reflect, and this is a popular phrase of yours, the reality of the business. And so in updating those policies, the procedures, the agreements, uh, as the business evolves, uh, helps you represent that reality of the business, right? It it also sounds like it would help (laughs) in the process of making changes to the functional analysis and the value chain analysis of the business based on how the company is evolving, right? Well, yeah, I would say based on real time understanding of the business, right? And so people are more readily going to understand the changes that are occurring today or what they're doing today versus if you ask them, what did you do three years ago, right? What happened within the business three years ago? So there's obviously an element of, of, of more accurate information to the extent that you're looking at this more proactively. Uh, and on the other side of things, when you're doing your transfer pricing documentation, I think this, this is something that 
you know, I, I, I've been I've been pondering a little bit and I don't think we focus on it enough. But when you do your annual documentation and it's after the books and records are closed. Right. And so it's always a retrospective analysis. But it really is. Uh, an internal auditing that you are following your transfer pricing policies because you pull the information, you pull the actual data, and you're validating the, the the outcome and you're benchmarking that, you know, applying whatever method you need to be, apply for transfer pricing purposes, but it can also validate that you followed your policy. And so it does go through this internal audit process. That's such a great way to look at it. I've never heard it described that way, but you're absolutely right. And for our final resolution, resolution number five, I will listen to the Fiona Show transfer pricing to stay up to date on the latest in transfer pricing. My name's Matthew DeMello, your host of the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit, the Fiona Show Tax Provision, the Fiona Show Hot Off the Press. I'm Lori Dillon, your host of Genius Beats Fear. Joining us today is Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song. Thank you, Matt. I think transfer pricing is more of an art than a Director science. of R&D Tax Incentives at Cross-Border Solutions, Rahim Walji. Take it away, Rahim. Thank you, Matthew. We'd love to welcome Lydia Clowney. Thank you so much for having me, Rahim. Tax provision expert, Howard Telson. Thanks for having me back. Thank you, Mimi. I'm delighted to be here. It's nice to be back. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Glad to be back. Well, thank you for reaching out to me. It's great to be back on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Delighted to be here. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that greatly. Yeah, it's great to be back. Always question one is, are you ready? I am. Yes, I am. I'm ready. Yes, Yes. I'm ready. Absolutely. I am ready. Excellent. We'll catch everyone next week. That's right, Mimi. The entire Fiona Show tax podcast suite at Cross Border Solutions and all of our lines of product help companies save a boatload on their taxes. But just honing in on transfer pricing and the direct value this show brings to multinationals across the world. And rolling from our bigger resolution here, Mimi, tell us something that you've learned listening to the Fiona Show transfer pricing. Number one, I, I, I realized that, you know, there are many more people and professionals out in this world that, that understand transfer pricing and finally realize it's, it's, it's a bigger deal than it might have been given credit for in the past. <laughs> and, you know, being a transfer pricing specialist, it used to feel a little bit like you were stuck on your own island, so to speak. And we had a very small community, but that community has definitely expanded and people are much more aware of the challenges. But at the same time, I think that there's so much more hunger for this knowledge related to transfer pricing and understanding how it impacts the business. And we see that more and more every day through various educational seminars that we provide, as well as discussions with our prospects. The fact that the fact of the matter is many of our customers rely on us for advisory support. And, and some of the questions that come through, they're, they're basic questions and that's okay, right? Everybody has to start with the basics to understand how this transfer pricing topic relates to their organization. Um, and then I think it's not a surprise, but at the same time, it sometimes does come as a surprise, the level of difficulty that certain companies have had under audit. I mean, we hear the stories of tax authorities and auditors 
taking very strong positions and and just looking at transfer pricing as a way to shore up any tax revenue deficits and and it's always so so it's so interesting and and sometimes difficult to hear when a company has been going through these challenges and and still hasn't come to a resolution or or perhaps didn't make the choice to do their documentation ahead of time and feels like that wouldn't have made any difference in the outcome and I'm like well are you sure about that there's so many different lessons to be learned here through these podcasts that we've done and and I I just find it to be incredible how everybody's experience as different as they are still come to the single sort of central theme of well do what you're supposed to do and tax authorities hopefully will you'll make the tax authorities go away but they everyone is paying attention to transfer pricing today everyone knows what it is <laughs> and at the beginning of the year, we talked a lot about transfer pricing, especially through COVID. And for however things got complicated in that immediate aftermath of the pandemic, as time progressed, it just became clear that it all goes back to the basics of transfer pricing. For as complex as this is, it makes the simplicity of transfer pricing very clear. It's still the arm's length principle. It's still about your functional analysis and the value chain analysis. And I remember that being a very clear lesson frequently this past year that in terms of transfer pricing, this is a lot simpler than we think. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, are you treating your related parties the same as you are treating unrelated parties? And that's the basic premise of transfer pricing which because of the implications and the business impacts of the pandemic, of COVID, this is why all of a sudden it got to be very complicated and complex, right? Because the transfer pricing policies may not have actually reflected, once again, the realities of how the business is dealing with these third-party customers or vendors, right? And so then it's complicated because, oh, wow, our intercompany contracts aren't reflecting how we're working with these third party contracts. And then it's, we will, we really should because that's the basic premise of transfer pricing and the arm's length principle. And just to dive into the arm's length principle a bit, because it's being called into question, especially at the OECD level, given the challenges of the digital economy. But we've also seen many transfer pricing professionals at that level from across the world, come out uh, in favor of the arm's length principle, in defense of the arm's length principle for its intellectual and practical integrity. And and you're among those professionals. Absolutely. Regardless of the initiatives under Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 and this idea of a a global minimum tax and and all this talk around a formulaic approach to intercompany pricing and then profit attribution. At the end of the day, I think the heart of it still relates to arms length dealings and the application of the arms length principle and just ensuring that each of these different tax authorities are, are, are getting their fair share of the pie. Now it's just, is everyone going to agree on, on what that pie actually, how big the pie is to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> We will get to that conversation and more in 2022, of course. 
Thank you so much for being with us, Mimi. We really, really appreciate you being on the show. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp we want to thank mimi for joining us for this very informative discussion if you like today's podcast you're going to love the other shows in cross-border solutions tax podcast suite that's the Fiona Show R&D Tax Credit and the Fiona Show Tax Provision. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's the Fiona Show Transfer Pricing, and we'll keep you up to date on the latest in transfer pricing. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Mary Lynn Mitchumstrom is our executive producer and wrote today's script. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.